Our scripture today is from 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Before we dive into that passage, I want to let you know an event and an opportunity coming up. Uh, This Saturday, here in this building at 7 o'clock from 7 to 8.30, we're going to have a a time of prayer with other churches in the region to kick off 100 days of praying for God to move in this region, to bring renewal and revival, hopefully. Uh, And so we believe the church wants to, God wants the church to unite in prayer. Love to invite all of you to come out uh, Saturday night here, seven o'clock, and we'll pray for an hour and a half together. We'll do some singing and some praying. Uh, Some of you have never been in a a time of prayer for that long, and we want to grow our church in that, so I'd love to have you be a part of that. Also, even if you can't make it, but you would like to join in praying for 100 days, you can just text PRAY100 to the number 24587 and you'll get a, a text every day for the 100 days telling you what to pray. It'll be a guided 100 days of prayer. So you get a text with a verse and say, it'll give you like pray for this. So it'll help, maybe even help you grow in your prayer life if you need to grow in a regular prayer life. Maybe some of you don't pray on a daily basis and this might help you. So would love to invite you into that. I think it'll be a great experience for our church. Uh, please Text that and join us. Join us this Saturday if you can. We'd love to have you be a part of it. All right. Let me pray for our time now as we open the word. Father, we're thankful for your word, for the example of others that have gone ahead of us. We are thankful for our mothers, for the way that you have blessed us richly through them. We pray this morning that you would be glorified and we would learn and grow together in the way you desire for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to look at that passage again, starting with verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Just if you're new to the faith or not yet a Christian, apostle is a, means a sent one, one who God sent to establish a new church and to establish our faith. Paul was one of them. Uh, he then speaks to Timothy. This is a letter to Timothy, a a delegate on his behalf that's being given charge over the church alongside of other elders that he will appoint. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul calls Timothy his beloved child because it was through Paul's ministry and the preaching of the gospel that Timothy came to faith in Jesus Christ. So he's a spiritual child to Paul. But notice who else plays a very vital and key role in Timothy's faith journey. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. 
As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul wants to highlight not only his own ancestors that shaped his faith, but he wants to make sure Tim, Timothy is reminded of how he came to faith through the gift of his grandmother and mother taking seriously their faith and passing it on to the next generation. Now, the reality is every one of us in this room is the product of our upbringing and the view you have about God and what he's done and who you are as a result is directly connected to whoever spiritually parented you. Whether that's your uh, you know, parents you grew up with or if God brought someone else into your life to bring a spiritual uh, leadership and direction into your life. But whoever is your spiritual parent is the most significant person or persons that have likely shared your view of who God is and what he's done for you in Christ Jesus. Now for some of us, that's a really good thing. Even as I say that you've been shaped by somebody and your view of God and what he's done in Christ is shaped directly by those people who parented you, you're saying, thank God for that. I had a heritage passed on. I had years or generations before me of people who believed and passed the faith on consistently and faithfully. And there's others of you who are saying, that is not the case. And in a sense, you might be the beginning of a new generation, You might be breaking generational sin or cycles of brokenness and destruction and God has a new day for you and he wants you to pass that on to the ones that you will get to, in a sense, spiritually parent uh, in the future. Mothers, I want to be really clear. You have a huge impact on your children. You shape their faith significantly. Women, all of you in the room, We're created in the image of God. You display the character and divine nature of God in a very remarkable and beautiful way. And there's deep value in who you are for the church. We need you. We need you to know who you are. We need you to know your God. We need you to follow your God and live for your God in such a way that you can pass on faith You can lead others in the way of Jesus in in unique ways that men can't. Women, I want want you to hear that. We need your unique perspective and contribution to the kingdom of God and to the church. Timothy was deeply impacted by two dear women. Uh, If you know much about Timothy's story, he was born into a mixed marriage. Mother was a Jew who came to faith in Jesus Christ through the preaching ministry of Paul married to a Greek who is likely not a believer. Some of you in the room, that's your situation. You might be married to someone who doesn't share your faith and you struggle through how to lead your household when you're divided at that level and just know you're not alone. And this story is a really remarkable story of a divided household that still led a young man to eventually be a leader in the church. Timothy was raised in a home where the fruit of his grandmother's faith was passed on to his mother. He was well acquainted, as we find out later in chapter three, verse 15, with the Holy Scriptures, which is the Old Testament. He was prepared by his grandmother and mother to eventually come to believe the truths of Jesus. 
I'm, I'm certain that his grandmother, Lois, was very aware of this passage in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, where Moses speaks on behalf of God to the people, saying, especially to parents, these words that I command you shall, today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. I was... Uh, interacting with one of our missional community groups in our pilot group this last week. If you're new to our church, we encourage everybody to be in what we call a missional community. It's a group of people who learn to, to love one another, care for one another, serve others in tangible ways, and eventually share Jesus, not only his love through action, but his love through words, so others can come to know Jesus as well. And we do our pilot group, which is an eight-week training for people to establish a new community, a new missional community. I was talking to one of them, and they were laughing because at the beginning, while they were eating their meal and their kids were playing around on the side, they said, man, this is, this is amazing. Our kids are getting new friends as a result of this group. They're, they have friends they didn't even know they had before. Uh, but at the same time, we were laughing because they said, you know, it's, like, it's pretty hard sometimes to have a good discussion when your kids are running in and out, and it feels like, you know, the messiness of reality. And I so that's, that's the beauty of, of, of a missional community is it's not like this, where like this feels like nothing like life, right? It's all ordered and quiet and put together and our kids are generally being taken care of quite well and equipped and trained in the gospel, which we love, so thankful for our children's ministry. But then you go back home and you, know, you hear someone like me say, you know, at the table you should talk about the message or Liz gives us a sheet to talk about the message that you guys went through in here and your kids went through in there and, and you sit down and try to have this really you know, ordered and controlled discussion. And you know, if, if, you, if you see my household, it's me trying to lead my family at the table around a discussion on a particular passage and by about 15 minutes in, my son is squirming under the table. You know, I'm like, hey buddy, you're 13, almost 14, sit up. You can do it, you know? And, and, and Maggie's like pressing in because she's trying to be competitive and be better than her older siblings. So she's like leaning in real hard. And my older daughter's got tons of homework. She's like, dad, I got homework to do. And, and I'm sitting there trying to convince them if I can get like 10 minutes of a significant conversation that actually goes somewhere. It's like a miracle, right? Any parents with me on this one, right? And so then I read this passage and I realize God's intent wasn't that we would have this quiet, ordered, you know, session at a table and that would be it. It would be along the way. It would be when we sit, when we rise, wherever we go, that, that God's intent for discipleship was in the everyday stuff of life. It wasn't meant to just be reserved for formal gatherings, though these are helpful, but it's to be bleeding out into normal everyday life. And that's the kind of household that Timothy grew up in where Eunice, with, without the help of a believing husband, was trying to teach Timothy along the way these, these sacred scriptures and the truths of God and what he's done and who Timothy is as a result of God calling a people to himself. And I'm sure just like every one of us, she struggled to know how to do that well. Moms, you have a companion in the scriptures here who gets how hard it is to really train up your children in the way they should go. And yet, 
Knowing the scriptures, Timothy was prepared. So when Paul showed up and said, let me tell you about the Messiah that the Old Testament scriptures speak of. Let me tell you about the God who now has shown up in the person of Jesus Christ to give his life as a ransom for your sins, to forgive you and set you free so you can be the people God always intended you to be. Timothy was prepared through probably all of those uh, you know, skin knee moments where, where mom reminded him that God sees and knows and all those moments around the table where maybe Tim wasn't listening so well, but he got a little bit of it and somehow it sunk in and got through. And when Paul shows up and preaches the gospel, Tim's faith is blossomed. He he loves Jesus. He's following Jesus. He's giving his life to Jesus. Moms, this is what you're doing every day. I know. I want to make sure you know your work is not in vain. You might not see the fruit that you'd hope. But God is at work in every one of those little moments that you pour into your children and remind them of God in normal everyday life. John Calvin said this of Timothy's upbringing in the faith. Timothy was reared in his infancy in such a way that he could suck in godliness along with his mother's milk. It's a beautiful picture of a mother just wanting to just pray over her son. Moms, those of you who have little ones, Pray over your children while you're holding them. Speak the truths of God over them. Speak the scriptures over them. God's working in those moments through your faithfulness. And as a result, the generation passed on the faith to a generation that passed on the faith to a generation that passed on the faith. And as we know, you and I are here because it didn't stop. Moms were faithful. Generations of faith are here in this room. Some of you are here because your mother or your grandmother or a spiritual mother in your life poured into you and led you in the faith. My mother poured into me. Some of you know my story. I would often find my mom on her knees in her bedroom. Sometimes I heard her prayers which reminded me of how desperate she was for this guy to get his life together. (laughs) I came in there a few times, she's like, Lord, save him. He's gonna destroy his life. I I remember vividly when I was 16, coming into my mom's room and she was on her knees crying out to God for me. My mom taught me to read the Bible every day. I didn't believe it, I just read it because she told me to. And you might go, that was just empty religion. And I would say, yes, and it prepared me for when I was 21 years old and when Jesus changed my life, I knew the Bible. And then it came alive. One of the reasons why I think I'm an effective teacher of God's word is because of my mom who continued to call me to read my Bible every day. And I've read it so many times through that when I speak, I speak from, from years and years and years of being in God's word. And therefore I can look back and go, it didn't return void. God sent it forth into my heart to do what was meant to do. And when my knee bowed to Jesus, I had a wealth of biblical knowledge in me to walk in. I thank God for my mom and her prayers and the way she taught me the word. I'm also thankful for my wife and the mother that she is. Fridays is the day I take off and Janie and I are working hard to make more space to just slow down after we drop the kids off from school and just be with each other and listen to each other and pray. My wife is a prayer warrior. When I first married her, 
uh, we would pray together on Fridays and uh, she would just pray and pray and pray for a long time. And usually she'd get done praying and I'd go, I don't have anything left. You prayed for absolutely everything there is. Now, part of that was insecurity, if I'm honest. I was insecure around my wife's prayer life because she was a far better prayer than I was. She was more faithful to call out to God in prayer. And so there was pride and arrogance in me that wanted just like, I don't know what to do next to that. But I'll tell you, we've been married 25 years and, and I have grown in my dependency on God and my confidence that he hears and answers our prayers because of my wife. Thankful for her. And I'm not just thankful for the way I've grown. I'm thankful that she calls our kids to memorize scripture and has them read their Bible every day. We have a policy in our house that they all read 30 minutes before they can get on any device. So they come home, they do, do their homework, they do their Bible reading. By then, thankfully, there's not much time left. And some of our, instead of us trying to say how, well, limit on how much you can be on a device, it's like, let's just fill their life with better things, including God's word. So our kids every day read for 30 minutes. Now, I don't know if they like it. That's not my job. I'm not the one to change their heart to love God's word. God has to do that. But we are to lead them the way they should go. And Janie is a beautiful mother, a wonderful example of a woman who wants to pass on the faith. Some of you are in this room, not because your mother or grandmother or even a spiritual mother mentored you. You're in this room because a mother or grandmother or a spiritual mother mentored somebody else who invited you here. You are being led in the faith through the parenting or spiritual mothering of another person. And you're getting the benefit of that right now. It's a beautiful story of how God works. And there's others of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, but you're here because there was a mother who cared enough to pour the faith into somebody and it's affecting you today. And maybe, maybe you're even going like, yeah, I saw an example of what Jesus is like in this person's life. And I just want to tell you, the reason why they can be that person is because God put somebody to spiritually mother them at some point in their life. Earlier in there at nine o'clock, I heard uh, some other ways this happened. Oh, people opening their homes, welcoming in people and treating them just like their own kids, even though they weren't adopting people in to include them. I know some of you in the room, you do that regularly. And so there's a lot of people who could say, that, that mom loved me like her own, even though she wasn't really my mom. And so those are heritages of faith. That's generations of faith passed on. And in every one of the examples I heard here, as well as in the earlier service, I hear of women who served, sacrificed, women who shared their homes, their lives, their, their gifts, their prayers, and it brought me, as I was preparing this week, it brought me the passage in 1 Timothy 2.15. As I anticipated what some of you would say, I, I, I was recalling Paul saying that women are saved through childbearing. Now, I, I know that there are a lot of ways you could read this. And uh, uh, I, I know for me, you know, my first initial thought about this would be they're, they're like, they actually make it through it. Because I, I watched three of our my wife's births, you know, and that it's horrific. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I mean, the first one, Janie was on bed rest and going into the, her, her uh, through almost all her pregnancy. And then they gave her an epidural because of a lot of other reasons. So it didn't, it didn't seem as bad to me. <laughs> uh, but then 
The second one, Caleb was born in the night that he was born. I asked Janie, is he going to come today? Is, you think, think our, our little one's going to arrive? And she said, no, for sure not. He's not, I'm not even close. So I said, okay, great. Because I was sick. I, had, I, was, sick, I was, like, had a cold. So I took NyQuil. I went to bed with NyQuil. And uh, sure enough, in the middle of the night, I'm woken up. The water's broke. And I'm on drugs. I mean... I, I don't remember half of anything that happened that night. Uh, I was not fully present, but with Maggie, I was fully present. And I, I, several times I'm like, I don't think she's going to make it. Like, this is bad. Women, I have a ton of respect for you. Like, that's hard. Uh, however, that's not what Paul means, to be clear, that they will survive. That's not what he's saying, that they will be saved through it in terms of survival. Uh, others of you might have heard, you hear that passage, you think of Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 25, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I would, I would just say quickly, every mother in this room uh, knows if you've raised children that you gave your life away over and over and over and over again. And God used it to sanctify you. In a sense, there is a saving reality when you give your life away. That if you want to get life, you give life. Because our Savior himself gave his life away so that he might give us life. So it makes sense that that would be how you might read it. And that is actually a truth in the gospel. That as we lay down our life for the sake of Jesus, he picks our life up. If we give our life to others on behalf of Jesus, he gives us life back in ways that are remarkable. Moms, any of you in the room, find yourself needing Jesus as a mother? Ever get to the place where you're like, I shouldn't have said that or done that and I feel bad about that and then you know the grace of God in Christ Jesus that has offered you forgiveness through the cross and you had to sit down with your kids and say, hey, I am really sorry for what I just said or did. And that, that in that moment, it's, it's you're giving your life away in humility and confession and Jesus is giving you life to do that. So that is true, but that's not also what Paul means specifically in this passage. I think we need to look at this passage to fully understand what he does mean. So let's look back a few verses, 1 Timothy 2, 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in the faith and love and holiness with self-control. If you're not familiar with the story of the Bible, in the beginning, there was man and woman, Adam and Eve, both made in the image of God. Eve, the very first mother, the mother of all living is what her name means. She was given the opportunity to trust God, to obey God, and to pass that faith on as a heritage to her children. However, if you know the story, she was deceived by the serpent to believe that taking of this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would actually be the means by which she could become like God. Interestingly enough, God already said he made her in his image and likeness, so she was already like God, but he was, the evil one was often an alternative where she could find likeness to be made in the image of God apart from God himself. By the way, if anybody offers you a way to be fully human and it doesn't include dependency on God, it's a lie. If you want to fully realize everything you were made to be and it's outside of the God who made you, it's a lie. And Eve gives some, the fruit to her husband. He takes it, he eats it, and they both realize they're naked, they're ashamed, they run and hide, they cover themselves up. 
They, they are afraid of God as he comes to find them. They immediately assume he's coming to get them instead of coming to save them, which is what he intends to do to all of us who rebel and run away. He chases after us and wants to bring us back and rescue us to be a part of his family. And what happens when God says, what happened, Adam? Eve's already feeling shame for what she's done. Mothers, anybody in the room ever feel shame for what you've done, especially as a mother? And what what does Adam do? He just joins in to shaming her more. It's the woman you gave me. It's her fault. And what does God do? Does he join in with the the shame game? No, He, he turns the finger away from the woman and he looks at the serpent and he says, what happened here? And he confronts the serpent and he doesn't just blame, but he offers a, na- a way out. This is what Paul is referring to when he says, women shall be saved through childbearing. Listen to what God says in chapter three of Genesis verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. Speaking of Jesus Christ, who will one day crush the evil one and overcome Satan's sin and death on our behalf at the cross, dying for our sins and rising again on the third day. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Through this woman's offspring, one would be born who would crush the works of the evil one, removing all of our shame at the cross, forgiving all of our sin, atoning for all of our guilt. Through one mother came death, through another mother will come salvation. That mother is Mary. Wendy Elsop wrote a beautiful article in Christianity Today about these passages saying, because the woman was the vessel through which God would bring his son and our salvation into the world, she became one of Satan's most hated enemies. She may have opened the gate that let the enemy in, but she also bore the one who would close it permanently. While she had been the one that Satan first approached as an ally in his plan to bring down God's perfect creation, Satan would be at war with her forevermore because her seed would ultimately defeat him. Is there any wonder throughout the centuries why women have been so poorly treated, abused and objectified, demeaned and destroyed? The evil one has been dead set on taking you out, women, all your life, ever since the beginning. I love this picture of Mary consoling Eve as Eve in her shame with the fruit in her hand puts her hand on the belly of Mary. And Mary, by the way, let's be clear, Mary was not without sin either. She was born into the line of this generation of people who passed it on from generation to generation to generation. She's also aware that she needs help. And where are their hands? On Jesus, on her belly, on the one who would deliver them. Wendy Elsep goes on and says this, the marvelous thing about the consolation of Eve is that it was God himself, not Mary, who spoke of the role her gender would play in the ultimate defeat of Satan. She had been entrusted with the fate of humanity once and failed, but God would entrust woman with the fate of humanity yet again. The child would be born from her womb, nourished at her breast, and sheltered in her arms. This salvation would be demonstrated according to 1 Timothy by her perseverance in faith, love, and holiness. Now mothers, those of you who are spiritual mothers, those of you who have children of your own, you might hear the first passage I read when I first started referencing the faith of Lois and Eunice 
And you might have heard in your own heart, I want to be like that. I want, I want to be like Lois. I want to be like Eunice. I want to pass on the faith to my children. But if you're honest, you strive to be like Mary, but too often end up feeling like Eve. Am I right? You're lying if you don't say yes. And that you're not alone. Every single person in this room has fallen short of what God intended us to be. But what I don't want you to do is say in your heart, I've got to try harder, I've got to work more, I've got to make up for where I've failed. That's not the point of the entire passage. Look back at 2 Timothy 2.15. He says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Notice what Paul doesn't say. Leave the passage up there. Paul doesn't say, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt in your grandmother Lois who worked super hard to do everything possible to ensure that you would walk in the faith and Eunice who worked super hard to make sure she put a heavy burden on herself to raise you the way you ought to be raised. He doesn't say that. He says, you have a sincere faith because they had faith in who? Jesus. Listen to what he says in verse two. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He starts there. He says, the whole reason why your grandmother and mother could raise you the way they did is not because they worked hard. It's because they believed in the one who could change the heart. It's because they had a faith that believed in grace and mercy and peace. That, that God is gracious to sinners and they knew that as fallen women who didn't perfectly raise their son or grandson. They didn't live with a burden, a weight of guilt and shame because they knew God was gracious to them in their shortcomings. That God was merciful and didn't shame them for falling short. That God is the God of peace who through Jesus Christ made a way for Lois and Eunice to actually walk in communion with the living God who could raise their son with the very presence of Jesus in them by his spirit so that they could give to their grandson and son the very real life-changing power and presence of Jesus. That's what, what Paul's talking about. If you walk out of here, mothers especially, and you go, man, I've got to try harder, work more, strive, 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 then you've missed the entire good news of the gospel. The greatest thing you can give your kids is Jesus and your need for Jesus. And that's not just true for mothers. Every single person in the room needs to understand that the grace and mercy and peace of God is available for you so that you, like Mary, could be a vessel of the very presence of God, carrying around in your body the very spirit of God so that everywhere you go, you get to bring the grace and mercy and peace of God. Mothers, we love you and are so thankful to God for you. So grateful for the way you pour out your life for so many of us. We wouldn't be here were it not for you. And I wouldn't know Jesus were it not for the women that God put in my life. Not the way I do. But I want to make sure you hear it. It's not because of you. It's because Jesus is in you. And so I want all of us to walk out here and say, may Christ, like Mary, dwell in us so that we, like Mary, might be a vessel through which he blesses others. And may we pass on the faith that has been given to us so that we could be a part of generations of faith to come. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, the giver of all good gifts, 
the one who created women in your image so that we could know the nurturing heart of God. We thank you. We thank you for our mothers, for our grandmothers, for our spiritual mothers. We thank you for the faith that has been passed on. But we thank you most importantly for Jesus who made it possible to even have our hearts be changed by these women in our life. You are the author and perfecter of our faith, not our moms, not our grandmothers, not our spiritual mothers, you are. So Lord, I pray that as we honor the women in our life, would you help us most importantly to honor you in their life? We ask that you would do this for your glory, for our joy, for the good of a world who needs to see women who are living lives that are full and abundant and God-glorifying. Thank you, Lord, for them. In Jesus' name, amen.